Hi, this is Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and this is another episode of The Tingle Zone. In this episode, I'm talking with Christopher Fox from Syncresis, who specializes in developing and executing content strategies for financial innovators. Now, that's a very specific targeted business model and part of our discussion is around how this specification came about. After all, he started off life as a professor of French literature. Now, the connection does make sense when you realise that his main job now is to take something baffling or complicated and translate it into something that we can understand. During our conversation, we explore such topics as how you can discover your area to specialise in, the differences between truth, trust and faith when it comes to business messages, and what it actually means to make things better. Now, Christopher successfully created a space where he's truly in a category of one. And he's done it by being someone who likes a challenge. What problems have others been unable to solve? How can I do things differently? Which barriers can I break? Now, before we jump into the interview, remember that uh, if you want to know more about what business enjoyment actually means and what I'm referring to when I say that I want you to enjoy your business so much it makes your bits tingle, then go to my website, businessenjoyment.com. A pop-up should appear allowing you to download a copy of my latest book, More Than Just Money, which goes through those things and shows you how you can use the business enjoyment model to find a solution to pretty much any problem. So do check that out, but for now, sit back, relax, think about which barriers you can break, and most of all, enjoy. Uh, great. So I am Christopher Fox. I'm the managing partner of Syncresis. And Syncresis is a marketing and communications consulting firm that focuses exclusively on thought leadership for a category of companies that I call financial innovators. And the reason why I don't have a kind of traditional industry categorization for it is that the types of innovation that happen within the world of finance can occur within fintechs, they can occur within banks, they can occur within um, firms that support and provide services to the financial industry. And so I took this sort of cross section of companies that are delivering innovation within the world of finance. And, and the reason why I do that is because, as I mentioned, I really focus on thought leadership. I work with companies or business units of companies that are delivering high impact, changing innovation into the world of finance. And in order to do that, they need a strategy and then they need execution on that strategy for uh, the, the messaging around what change are they advocating? How are they implementing that change? Why is that change relevant and meaningful? And how can they then use thought leading content to help carry out that change. There's the product or the service itself, but then there's also the messaging and you know, how, how do you articulate that messaging? How do you explain some of these often very arcane topics to a broader audience in a way that makes sense to them? And, and one of the things I love about doing that is that it often takes my clients a step back to say, well, wait a minute, we've gotten so focused in building out this product that we haven't been asking ourselves, why is it so important? Why is it relevant and meaningful? And, and the opportunity to do that and then use that as a way to 
um, to position themselves as innovators and as agents of change is a, is a great way to bring them back to that underlying reason of why, why do they really care about what they're doing and those things that are keeping them working eight, you know, 80 hours a week as, as many people in finance will do on these projects. You, sometimes you lose sight about why it's just so important and, and thought leadership helps bring that to the table. So it's not, I, what I like about it is that it's not just a marketing service. You know, I'm providing content marketing and we're spitting out content for search engines and doing all this stuff. We don't do anything like that. We focus exclusively on high quality, high impact content that fits the type of innovation that the clients are doing. And what that means is that it's not just running the content machine, but it's really getting into the, the depth of their motivation and why it really matters to the industry, but also why does it matter to them personally? Mm, so you're helping them with their internal reflection in terms of the actual reason of the, the, the change that they're making itself. And then right. um, what that communication needs to come out looking like. So not worrying about the, the infrastructure of, the, of, the, of how that communication is delivered, but what that communication actually is. That's right. That's right. So when we talk about things like thought leadership, you know, one of one of those first questions is, well, why is it that that you could be considered a thought leader? Mm. And I ask in a very gentle, facilitated way. It's not an accusatory question like, who do you think you are? But it's more a sense of, you know, let, let's really get focused on not just the thing that you're building, but how does it lead the industry forward? How does it change? It can change something very, very um, niche, right? It can change some very specific inner working of the bond market, or it can change some aspect of how payments get processed or, or all sorts of things that seem really quite arcane. Mm -hmm. But um, once you really think about them as changing and improving some aspect of the, of the overall global financial system, it unlocks a lot well, it unlocks a lot of marketing messages and a lot of power in terms of getting it to market, but it also, as I'm saying, it, it unlocks that, um, that sense of commitment as well. Absolutely. And I guess there's uh, the, the communication needs to go internally as much as it does externally, certainly in the larger organizations. Uh, That's right. But because, um, yeah, because that, that uh, very often we have these sort of silos going on and the change happening and the people beneath have no idea what's happening and suddenly gets rolled out of this amazing thing. And they, they, they've not got up to speed with what's going on yet, do they? Um, it's true. That happens a lot, especially, as you say, in larger companies where, you know, the, the, the product team rolls something out and um, marketing and communications may be a step behind and they need to catch up, but then it's not necessarily been folded into uh, what people on the, the sales or the customer support side um, are necessarily aware of. And yeah, there's there's also just that inner advocacy of, of getting other people within the company excited about this, this innovation that the company has put out there in the world. Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that you've, you've you're, you know, you're about communication, you're about words, you're about messages, but in a very specific arena, uh, which don't naturally go together, although just as important. So I'm intrigued, how did you end up here? What's your journey that's got you into being this sort of connection between two uh, very specific markets? 
Well, this journey is going to seem very, um, very complicated and, and a little bit bizarre. Uh, I started Enough off bizarre. That's what we want. <laughs> you know, I started off my professional life as a professor of French literature. Of course I you did. Expect nothing yeah. less. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. So, so I got my doctorate in French literature. I taught at the university level for a couple of years, and and after. After all that, after all that that time and energy invested in getting my doctorate, which I, I certainly don't regret in any way, but I realized it was absolutely not the right place for me to be in academia. What was what was so I'm always intrigued when people are in the wrong space because having been there myself and seen the journey to, to get out of it, what were the the signs for you? Was it a, a quick decision and realization straight out? Or were you in that phase where it's a case of, but I've done all this work to get here and I can't leave at this stage. What was your realization story? It was pretty quick. So there, there were a number of things that made me feel like this was not the right place for me. And honestly, sometimes I would just be sitting in a room, whether, whether it was a, a small hosted lecture with, with a guest lecturer, coming to the department or just a departmental meeting. And I'd look around the room and, and I just had this very visceral sense. I am not one of these people. And it's, it, it, it's hard to articulate exactly what that means, but I just, you know, I'd look around and I'd realize even very trivial things, like I'm dressed differently from other people here. I don't have like the kind of like gray skin and the, and the elbow patches and all these things. And, and that was part of it. Part of it was also just, I realized really quickly that I have this entrepreneurial instinct. And sometimes it could be in, an, in a very, um, you know, in a, in a very hands-on way or very hands-on ex experience. For example, I arrived in my office for first day at this university and it was this, this would be, um, let's see, this was in 1995, dating myself a little bit, but there we are. So I, so I, so I get there, get into my office. It's a beautiful academic office, right? There's bookshelves, massive windows. I love the space. And there's this funny little jack in, um, in the floor. It's not a phone jack. I'm like, well, what is this? There's a computer there as well. I'm like, well, what is this? Uh, not that I'd never seen a computer before, but it was, but it was there. The room had been set up but nothing had ever been turned on or plugged in or anything. No one had ever thought to use it. And no one was aware that there was this other thing you could plug into called the internet. So of course, what did I have to do? I got on my hands and knees. I stuck the ethernet cable into the jack. I was, well, what does this do? And it really didn't do anything. I, I called um, the university's IT department. It's like, well, what is, what is this? You know, I'd like to start, you know, I wanted to be in contact with colleagues from graduate school who had gone other places. I wanted to do all these things. Um, and they're like, well, we, you know, we have wired that building for internet and email and, and web access and all that, but we don't support it yet because it's a humanities department. <laughs> Everybody's reading books. They're not interested in electronics. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the point of the story is, well, I, I just, I figured it out. You know, I had, it, it was connected to the internet. Well, I need a chat server. I need to figure out how to connect to chat servers. So I did it and I, I need to get emails. Like, well, if I'm not able to use the, the, the email server here, I'll just set one up. I don't, know, I don't know anything about it. I'm not hugely technical, although I became pretty technical pretty quickly. And the point of this whole story is that 
none of my other colleagues were doing that. None of my other colleagues were getting under their desks to figure out what's under there, to plug something in and to get access to some uh, something other than the very specific frame of reference that they had. They, they were only looking at the world that they knew and they didn't have a sense of well, what else is out there in the world. And it, it seems like a really weird story to show how I was different from and maybe just not, not likely to stay in an environment like that. But that, that's just another example of that quick accumulation of you know, looking around a room and, and feeling just like I was not in the same tribe, right? I'd, I'd just shown up from somewhere else, like, a, like an alien that ended. Um, and, there was no, and, and there was no clues in the build-up to this <laughs> when you're actually doing your... <laughs> not as much. Not as much. I, I think maybe I was so focused on my own thing. You know, I, I really, really loved the process of writing my doctoral thesis. Um, and I, I think I was very tunnel vision until I got to the end of the tunnel and I saw what was on the other side of it. Like, oh, mm. uh-oh. <laughs> <Now what? laughs> but this isn't where I wanted to be. Because um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the natural curiosity which you Elicit there would make sense from anybody who's doing research and uh, into the in the education space. To me, I would imagine everybody's curious, but it it sounds like everyone else is curious within a very narrow, as you say, tunnel vision, as as your word sort of thing, and that that carries on. So you know, prior to going into that tunnel, did you have broad interests, and were you generally curious about a wide range of things before honing it down? I was. So so even the even the doctoral work that I did was about uh, the intersections between uh, literary culture and scientific culture in 19th century France. So even there, I was, I was the weirdo who would leave the humanities campus and go down to the medical library and ask for access to the archives. And why, why would anyone in, uh, you know, in, in a medical library care about the 19th century medical texts? But they're still in there. You just have to get access to that room. Mm. So I did I would read all of these texts in you know, 19th century medicine and natural philosophy. And I'd, I'd find the connections between that and the way that literary texts work. And that's what I wrote about. So I was already doing it, but I'm only, you know, it was only after the fact that I realized that that was different from the people that just stayed on campus and stayed in their own library. Mm. I guess maybe that's quick way to put it is I, I'm not the kind of person who stays in his own library, just despite what you see behind me, which is my own library. Uh, the reality <laughs> is I don't, I don't stay in my own library. I'm always digging around somewhere. <laughs> uh, fair enough. And, and you know, not disparagingly, but I've, I've, I've seen bigger libraries, if you know what I mean. You're not, you, you, you've got art, you've got, because obviously this is, is the sound, you've got a, a range of things. So you by no means trapped yourself around my book. So you've, uh, it's fine. <laughs> no, they're, all, they're all over the house. Not, not that I'm trying to prove anything, but it's, yeah. it's always, you know, it's always a challenge when, whenever I move house. It's like, well, Oof. there need to be, there need to be enough walls. Um, but it takes forever to get the books back out, you know, out of the boxes and onto the shelves. It's a, it's a whole thing. <laughs> There's this thing called the internet now. And um... <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, not, not everything is there. No, no, no. And I, I mean, personally, I, I'm, I'm still someone for a physical book to hold, hold it in my hand and flick through. Uh, yeah. 
still still yeah. my preferred way of uh, of absorbing the written word personally but uh, anyway um anyway so realize you're in the wrong place um yeah. the, the world of french literature and the uh, and the professors may not be the one that you're calling that you're determined to do so where, where'd you jump off from there so part of part of the, the the end part of the story of me getting under my desk and connecting to the internet which was that i figured out how to create you know at this point we're talking mid-90s so very rudimentary websites and what i would do is i would um, take some of the texts that i was studying with my students right like a, you know a short poem a short st study story and i was so tired of the classroom being students asking me what does this word mean who is louis the 14th what are, like the, all these kinds of questions so i made these very rudimentary simple hypertexts like you go read this and come to class prepared so that we can talk about this literature at a higher level. Uh, the, my reason for making for that final conclusion to the story is what I did next, which was I, I took a position at a think tank that was focused on using um, digital technologies for the teaching and study of literature. Like I'm, I need to get out of academia, but I'm not going to just go work in a department store. I want it to be a logical and reasonable step. So I went off and did that. And then from there, I took um, some jobs in um, university administration. And it was from there that I was able to make the leap from these roles that were very much project management type roles, managing the production of digital teaching resources. Because by now, the, the ball had kind of gotten rolling a little bit more on this idea. And I parlayed that into a job in a consulting firm that worked on document management. And document management led to overall content management, which led to content strategy, which led to communication and how you use communication to move the business forward. And I'm now fast forwarding through years and years rather than the you know three days of me hanging out under my desk <laughs> in an academic office. But um, that, that's that's ultimately what happened. I, I, as my roles morphed and I got to this point of, um, you know, digital communication to communication at large to strategy at large, um, working with within consulting firms, doing PR and communications work within them, that I decided to go off on my own and start my own business and start Synchrosis. So I started Synchrosis back in two thousand seven. And it, you know, it, it started as a very general, you know, let, let's do marketing and communication. If you need your website done, we'll do that. And if you want this done, we'll do that. We'll do whatever you want, Jack, jacks of all trades. Um, but over time, I learned to get it more and more focused and ultimately just came to this point of focus of saying, I want to get really narrowly focused on a niche topic that there are very few other firms out there that are able to deliver even coherent writing about a lot of these topics mm -hmm. because they are quite specialized. So let, let me do that. Here's a hole in the market. And um, you know, I see a need for it. I see a lot of companies that are struggling with coherent and high quality content that achieves thought leadership objectives within the world of financial innovation. And I found it all fascinating. So that's what I do. Mm. So I mean, to, how, to, to, how did you spot the hole in the market? Was it let's go and find a hole that I can fill or did it start popping up and you were just looking for it and aware of it when it happened? 
it's it more more the latter. It's it started to pop up, and I and I started to notice the pattern in uh, working with people that that projects where the content is about, let's say, re retail or consumer products. That that content's pretty easy to create. You don't need to have a lot of specialization in order to do that. But it was always those situations where you know someone wanted to do something. Um, in a particular area of cryptocurrency or, you know, and come up with any arcane financial example you want, that it would often turn into a disaster. They would come to me with a disaster, say, you know, we went to this agency, we got this content, it's nonsense, we don't even know what to do to, to, to fix it, can you help here? And the reason why they came to me is because they were, they were in my network. So that is the part that's more serendipity or luck or call it what you want. But the part that was um, intentional was realizing that, well, why does this keep happening? Why is it always in this particular area that um, what's necessary is not being delivered by other firms and, and people are desperate for, any, for, for help? Yeah, and I'm intrigued because that I mean, obviously happens, you know, obviously as a, as a professor of French literature, you are used to one, obviously very literary, very good with words and then and not everything's in French. I assume you're doing something stuff in English as well. So translating and, and converting things right. into, into things that make sense, you're writing thesis, so obviously you're good at writing. Um, but I'm intrigued. I mean, if I was to speak to one of these other PR firms that had, had it given a go before, I'm sure their background would have been in some sort of you know they would be good with words in some way shape or form so what what allowed you to unlock this financial section that, that other people couldn't do so a few a few things some of it is going back to what i was saying about the, the good luck aspect i had the good fortune of experience working with some some very very smart and talented people in finance just by virtue of the consulting assignments that I did earlier on, by virtue of the people that I built in my network, so I had um, I had good role models, right, and good good people to learn from. The, the other thing I think does go back to that um, that core capability of I'm someone who's really good at translating between things, whether it's translating between languages or translating between, say at a higher level, translating between discourses, right? Because there's the marketing discourse or the, the field of marketing, the field of financial technology or fintech, are, they're very different fields. It's very hard to find a shared vocabulary between those fields. And it's, it's almost like that shared vocabulary needs to be invented. And one of the things that I, I happen to be very good at is inventing and then using shared vocabularies, translating between completely different ways of thinking, not only different ways of speaking, but different ways of thinking. Mm. This might be a challenge, but because uh, obviously it depends on uh, on who's listening on this. But have you got an example of that that you can sort of illustrate with or we need to be in the in the sector to, <laughs> to get it? Let me, let me think, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. So, yeah, I, I can certainly give a generic example. I'm, like, I, I'm under NDAs with all my clients, as you'd imagine. Sure that, but, yeah. So there, there's this whole thing happening in the, the world of finance. It's been happening for what's well, been going to happen for several years. Now it's finally coming to be, which is that um, a lot of global financial contracts are set against this interest rate called LIBOR. It's London Interbank um, 
now I'm going to forget the acronym. So everyone <laughs> but, um, bank interest but, rate, basically. The, the standard, yeah, so standard underlying the, interest rate that everybody is based on, the bank rate type things. The yeah. underlying rate. And it used to be done by agreement between the banks. Mm. And then several years ago, it turned out, a big surprise, the banks were kind of colluding and, and making up the rate that maybe wasn't the best indicator of the actual risk in the financial market. And that turned into a whole scandal. Ultimately, various parties in the industry, include, primarily include, including central banks and regulators, decided we needed these other rates that are not as easy to manipulate. So these other reference rates are now, it's been, it's been several years getting to this point, but they're now coming into force. And there's all these other financial contracts that exist still on LIBOR because no one updated them. It's this very complex process of figuring out, well, well, now what do we do? Now what do we do with these existing contracts? And many of the banks and service providers within this industry have solutions to help their clients do these rate resets, reset all the contracts, get all the counterparties to these contracts together. So how do you take that and then turn that into a marketing message that makes sense because it's such a it's such a low level of technicality in terms of you know which interest rates are set in the contracts, et cetera. Yeah. So you can feel I've people worked... uh, falling asleep just as you've started the conversation if they're in the wrong set. Right. <laughs> you know, so I've so I've worked with what what happens is that my clients they have internal marketing teams, but the, you know those inter- internal marketing teams need some support and they want an intermediary or a translator to help them take the expertise of the people within deep within the business who really understand the inner workings of these rates and the implications of changing the underlying rates. Um, they, they need someone to help translate that into marketing speak. So the, a lot of the work that I do, it's working with the marketing team and being their translator. Saying, you know, here, here's where the messages are, not just the kind of the technical data sheet of how you do this thing, but here's where the messages are that if you deliver these messages to market, you're going to have, have more influence and, and more likelihood of asking clients, have clients asking for help, for your help with this. I don't know if that, that example gives you a sense of it, but it's really, it's being able to sit down with those deep technical experts, whatever it is, work with them to, to hear and, and also elicit the, the messaging of, 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 of why it really matters, and then work with the marketers to say, all right, well, we need to take this now, now that we can distill it into something that's comprehensible to, the, to a broader market. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the marketing strategy for getting that stuff out there? So that's the point of translation. Yeah. So, you, so because of your um, ability to understand complex technical things, you can go in and sort of really get understand what the not necessarily the mechanisms behind it, but in terms of as you say, asking the right questions to find out what's important behind it and 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 understand that, and then try and look at it from the perspective of the other, the, the common person or a little, or the, 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 the audience, so to speak, which is probably right. makes you more aligned to and think, well, this is how a, <laughs> this is how a normal person would, would look at it kind of thing um, and, and find a way of bridging the gap. That's right. That's right. Because even, even the, for the example that I gave, even the participants in a lot of these contracts, they, they don't necessarily know 
the nuances. If, if you're an investor in some debt contract that has been um, pegged to LIBOR, you don't necessarily know what it means that all of a sudden, instead of having a monthly rate, you're having this daily rate that's compound. Instead of being compounded forward, it's compounded backward. Um, you, people don't necessarily know what that means. Mm. And certainly not what the implications are, which that's where the, obviously right. that's the numbers implication on that sort of thing. Um, okay, now that, that's good. And um, I mean, and, and just going back to your sort of journey running through things, as you said, you saw uh, lots of steps along the way to get to um, to where you are now. And as you say, the, the 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 finding of this specific area is kind of a combination of serendipity and just thinking what makes sense. Is that how you've sort of your journey's gone all the way? Have you has it been a sort of a combination of luck and just trying things and giving things a go? Or has there been a sort of a, a, a bit of a master plan of where you've been trying to get to? So there there definitely wasn't a master plan in terms of <laughs> let's say you know, 10, even 10 years ago, I hadn't had this aspiration of I'm going to be an exclusively fintech oriented thought leadership consultant and here's my action plan for getting from point a to point z it's uh it it wasn't like that again it was very much this back and forth of seeing opportunities come together but but what i will say is that it's never been a sense of try and fail and go do something else it's like try see what's logical and possible from there decide when to take that next opportunity and push it forward. And I think not, I have, I, there's certainly nothing wrong with, with learning through things not going well. But my point is that that hasn't been my journey. My journey has been learning from things going very well. What's the, what's the next opportunity and the next thing to do that would be even better. So every, a lot of the things that I've been talking about in terms of communication strategy being done as an employee within a firm, realizing that the thing that might be better would be doing it under my own terms. Mm. How, do you, and then, how do you measure better? What's better mean for you? I think it's, it's, it's a number of things. It's, it's, um, it's personal satisfaction. It's, um, I think it's, for me, it's autonomy. I am a very autonomous person. I think that's another answer to that question you asked quite a while ago about why I didn't belong in that room with that with my colleagues in the French department. Is there that I'm just I'm autonomous sometimes to the point of um, I guess I would say rebelliousness or difficulty <laughs> in a good way. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not a terrible person about it, but I'm you know I'm likely to say that this is the way we need to go. We need to break some boundaries here. And um, for me, it was really, you know, another way of looking at it was it was a pursuit of autonomy. In an academic department, you're very constrained. In the business world, you're less constrained because you can have some actual business results to hang your hat on. Even if there are internal political dynamics, there's at least some kind of business result that you could say, look, I've, you know, I've, I've got these clients, I'm bringing in this revenue, um, politics or no, I, you know, I, I have at least some degree of autonomy. And then working within, you know, working within consulting firms, you have a certain amount of autonomy because the clients are kind of your clients. And then from there realizing, well, if, if there wasn't really anything that the consulting firm was offering me other than 
the paycheck. Yeah. So why not? If I, if I realize that I have good networks, good people skills, not really, really great on lead generation, but I, but I know how to close a lead once I get one. If I have all those pieces in place, why wouldn't I start my own firm? And, and that, and for a lot of people that leap from um, the security check, <laughs> the, the safe consultant, the regular fee to, um, to, to doing it on your, uh, on your own terms. Sounds like you felt fairly confident and comfortable doing it, or is there still an element of, you know, I, I did, I did. Maybe in hindsight, I, I didn't have the best data to tell me, yes, this is a certain bet. Um, but I, I did feel confident in it. And, um, you know, so far, so good. What is it, you know, 14 years later? Oh, well, yeah, it's still going. That's all right. Um, and, and I just wonder, you know, because you've sort of alluded to yourself as being that, that autonomy and, and being a boundary breaker and, and looking for things different. I wonder when you're working with clients, I'm assuming. You know, they're, they're, you're talking about that thought leadership and change, and they're trying to um, be innovative and all that sort of thing. So you're 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 looking at the boundaries, I guess, and helping them maybe push further than they currently currently already thinking. That's right. That's right. You know, I'm helping them use the the tools and techniques of marketing and communications to add more more reach or more expansion to their innovation agenda. Which sounds very corporate and consulting y, but that, that's <laughs> come on, you can translate, can't you? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no, it's fair enough. Um, are you what is what, what sort of clients are you working with? Are they generally quite obviously we know fintech, I get that, but in terms of size and that sort of thing, are you talking to generally large companies or, or anyone and everyone? Is it's a, it's um. I have one client is, you know, a, a, quite a small company and they have, I think less, less than 20 employees. Um, and then um, some, some, I have other clients that are some of the larger banks in, on the planet. Mm -hmm. it's nice so it's really, and it's really, it's, it's a bet because that's the idea of the criterion is being a financial innovator. It's not like, oh, I work with global banks or I work with fintech startups or, any of these other traditional things that you'd find in a, you know, in a outline of, of industry categories mm. it's kind of coming up with, with a market that I've defined myself and then figuring out who to pull into it from, you know, the largest global banks to, you know, midsize technology companies to some, you know, startups that, that are aggressive and, and have the ability to, to get some messaging out there. And is it a case of, you know, how are they coming to you? Are they, are they saying, hey, I'm a thought leadership. I'm a financial innovator. I need to speak to Chris. Or uh, are you spotting them and having a conversation with them? Or, or, or someone you're already working with saying you need to speak to Chris because he's helped us, but we, the, the concept of financial innovation doesn't crop up until you start talking to them. How do they, how's that identification work between what you do and who's the right person? In, it's... Historically, it's been all of the above, but I'd say the most typical pattern is that um, I, through, you know, whether it's through my network or um, through any business development that I'm doing, um, a, a client comes to me with the understanding that we need to develop some content. That's, that's often the conversation starter. We need to develop some content, right? They, they want to do a white paper or they want to do a blog series or, or they're not quite sure what. 
but they know they need to do some content in order to get things out there. And, so that's, and quite, that is, that's quite broad and generic sort of starting point in that sense. That's yeah. right. And then that, that's where the conversation goes from, let, let's talk about your business need to let's talk about what we're going to do together, which is in talking about the content needs and the opportunities of, you know, there's, there's all sorts of content that you could think of, but if you think of thought leadership content, here's what I think it could do for, for you, given you know, your position in the marketplace, given the types of things that you're offering and doing, and this is what a thought leadership strategy would look like if you, first of all, if we do the strategy and then we carry out that strategy by developing the content um, and that flow of a conversation from they coming, they come to me understanding they have a content need and then helping them shape that content need into what you're really saying is that you need to position yourself as a thought leader around this very specific set of topics. And here's how we do that. And content is a piece of it. So they may not identify as a financial innovator when they come to you first of all, but by the time they've finished talking with you, they do. <laughs> they 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 can they aren't easily understand themselves as financial innovators. They don't necessarily think of themselves as thought leaders. Hmm. And I think there's good reason. You know, thought thought leadership. Even I don't love the term. It's it sounds like an it's it's a really terrible and ugly industry buzzword, and. I'm sure all sorts of better terms and phrases could be used to describe it, but then no one would know what I'm talking about. So at, at least calling it thought leadership triggers some form of recognition, even if people have all sorts of different definitions of it, um, that we can start to use that as a way of saying, well, now let's get really specific around what that means. It means this particular strategy around this particular set of topics with these spokespersons and, and here's what you do. And then it doesn't really matter whether it's called thought leadership or, or monkeys and toenails, who cares what it's called? This is what we're doing. So quick on the spot question and it's absolutely fine if you can't answer this, but what would you call it if you could? Wave a magic wand, what phrase would you use? You know, I, I really, really have thought of it a lot and I, and I haven't come up with one yet. <laughs> So monkeys and fingernails it is then, I think. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> you know, thought, thought leadership, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, and then there's, you know, there's all sorts of other even, even worse and uglier industry terms. It's, this one is definitely dated, but I don't know if you remember when, when people would run around as self-appointed evangelists for things. Uh, that one sort of missing. Guru is obviously one of those that... Uh... Yeah. Is a thing, Other, you know. Um, evangelists, yeah, that sort of missed me by a bit, a little bit, but um, I can was like a, that was very much of a, at least in the whole, you know, the the early, the late '90s dot com boom, people would run around saying that you'd go, you'd go to some industry event at in New York or in, or in the Valley, and people would talk about themselves as you know, as being the evangelist for a particular company, and it would literally be on their business card. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah quite definitely the eye roll and, and i and i definitely and i realized that thought leadership is is maybe the you know the 2020s version of that same eye roll uh but i don't know maybe i'll come up with it next year and i'll have some some great thing and it'll be the title of my book and it'll be the next step forward well you know you you you, you create words so create one that's it you know no yeah. uh, it's, it's break the rule go for it why not sometimes so, i just you know what this really is is truth telling it's yeah. you're, you're telling 
truth to the market you're and you're making your truth happen mm. yeah. and that that can either be very new agey and weird and they're like oh you know what, what are you talking about i'm much more comfortable talking about marketing or talking about cryptocurrency than telling my truth but um it, it i see it that way you're you are you are you have committed yourself to an idea that matters in the world and you're doing you're putting in so much time and so much energy about that idea and it's the, just the final piece of the puzzle is talking about it mm. do you see a shift in the power of truth in these current times you know i i do there and it's it's certainly been you know longer than the past couple of years or so but uh, there's a there's a big PR firm called Edelman and, and they do um, every year they do something called a trust barometer and the trust barometer, you know, it used to be that people trusted institutions and they name institutions as nonprofits, governments, the media and business um, roughly equally. Then now then the, like the past couple of years, especially trust in the media, extremely low trust in government extremely low nonprofits kind of just float around in the middle the the what you'd be surprised it seems counterintuitive but the the one institution left that has any degree of trust is the world of business hmm. well people are more likely to trust what comes from the ceo of a company than they are from the president of a nation or from um uh, from a journalist and well journalist makes it makes a little more sense and and that actually directly influences the thought leadership strategy because it used to be what what would you do 20 years ago if you wanted to position yourself as a thought leader you hire a pr agency um, you have your pr person on the phone calling all these journalists trying to get get you mentioned one way or another and people still do this it's, it's not it's, it's not the worst tactic in the world, but it doesn't really have the same impact as, you know, having your own channel mm. and your own platform for communicating thought leadership, whether that's through your website, your blog, your LinkedIn page, um, whatever it might be. There's, there's all sorts of places for you to position yourself as a thought leader, but people trust those channels that come from an individual more than from an organization well it's interesting because it was because you you talk about trust but obviously we're talking about truth before and obviously there's an overlap but there is a distinction between trust and truth isn't there there certainly is because it, it is possible to trust someone who is not telling the truth exactly <laughs> in that little <laughs> bit of the venn diagram there uh, people do all the time <laughs> so so where, where do you see your mission in terms of Obviously, ideally, we want truth and trust together. That's 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 where it fits. Um, but but how how well how do you see the the truth element coming through um, and inter intertwining with trust more coherently? Yeah, I mean, I think it it that's that's where it it actually reconnects back to the innovation that the that my clients are standing behind. So. You know, let's say a company is developing a platform that helps investment managers do, do their investment, their, their internal business more effectively. That creates a more effective and more efficient market, which creates better results for investors, which, which helps grow the economy, 
there's all these different levels in which um, assuming that what my client is offering works and does what it says it's supposed to do, then it really is improving some small corner of the global financial system, which has huge impacts. I mean, like it or not, the global financial system is as much a part of, of the way we live as, as breathing air. And there, there's, there's no way around it. You can make all sorts of arguments for why that's not great. Um, but it is certainly the case today. And working with people and companies that are improving the way that that works has, uh, you know, to me, I think that's really where the truth component plays in to it, is that it's the truth because it's, it's action in the world that leads to something better. That, and and that what I mean there is 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 the the truth comes from the results from the consistent performance. You say you're going to do something and it happens. You say that that sort of thing. Right. When you're creating a marketing piece and you want to get the truth out at the start, where you, the the listener may not have the evidence of the of the performance, how do you bring truth into that there that's going to be believed? Yeah, no, it's a, it, it is a good question. And I think there, there's always, not, not to throw in another bi a big word, but there's, you know, there's not only trust and truth, but there's faith, right? And there, there's a certain degree of, of believing in um, a, a promise or the potential of something. And in those situations, you know, it's, I've, I've, I've never been in a situation where I've had a client who wants me to help them um, promote a scam or airware oh, or anything yeah. you know it's but the, the 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 as you say with the um so the trust barometer um you know people in in this day and age people can put blatant truth out there and people will still if they if it's coming from the wrong space or whatever it might be they may may not accept it may not believe it they may not have faith in the truth that's right um, and that's, there's there's a there's a strategy element to that too, which is not not everyone is going to be your audience, no matter what you have to say. Not not everyone is going to buy into it. Um, not everyone will believe it or trust it. Um, so um, there there's a certain sense, at least in at least in these worlds, where you know there there are, there are audiences you need to walk away from. Mm. So then that brings in that element of 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 of, of marketing to the, the nurturing that audience so that they're already. Um, a little bit converted, should we say? So at least they're right. in the right direction. So the the messages that you are giving are adding fuel to something that's already moving, rather than necessarily starting from from zero. Right, and that's part of the difference between product marketing and thought leadership. Is is product marketing tells you um, in a marketing oriented way the the features and benefits of a particular product. Thought leadership influences your understanding of the problem. That that product solves. Mm. So you're you're getting them involved at an earlier stage in many ways of the whole process. That's right. That's right. And they they may not 100% be on board with your understanding of a particular scenario, but if you give them something to think about, then you have something more interesting and better to talk about with them when you're moving from the you know the, the big broad marketing conversation to something more concrete, you know, a sales conversation. Hmm. No, I get that. Like it. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, 
Uh, okay, and um, and where we are now? Do you obviously you say you never had a, a specific plan to uh, to be where you are now, um, but you're here. Um, hopefully, you're enjoying it. Um, do you have any thoughts about where things go moving forwards? Is it just let serendipity decide, or are we there? <laughs> so I I do have some thoughts about about where this is going. Um, you know, as as I've said many times in this conversation, you know, I'm working with clients to, to solve marketing and communication challenges and, and you know, to, to be um, part of their team in providing those types of services. One of the things I see though, is that in using communication techniques and, and the, the broader way in which communications works in a corporate context, can it be used to create not just pieces of thought leadership, but a more thought leading organization. Can you use communications, coaching, training, approaches to messaging and all that to level up, not just what the company is saying, but many more individuals within that company so that they're all thought leadership. And ideally that thought, that thought leadership starts to work in a synergistic way rather than people scattering all over the place. Uh, but that's that's what I'm what I've been beginning to think about more is taking this time, kind of work and instead of thinking about it at the product level, thinking about it at the organizational level. And I, and I don't quite know what it means yet, so I, maybe I shouldn't even be talking about it. But I do <laughs> see something there. This is you know that this is kind of how I operate. I'm I'm telling you now that I see something there, and a year from now there might not much may have happened from it, but two to three years, I, I'm very likely to be doing that kind of work mm. because it'll start to coalesce and I'll start to see those opportunities of you know, working um, on some internal communications programs and using those as opportunities to say, well, you know, let's train up a certain group of people within this company to be better communicators and better thought leaders and get that aggregate effect um, that, you know, has enormous benefits in, in the company's innovation potential. Mm. So that's the, that's the kind of glimmer that I see down the road. I, I don't know quite what it looks like um, in, in any more practical terms than what I've just said, but that's, you know, you, you asked me and I figured I might as well be transparent about it. It's the truth. <laughs> but uh, but uh, and, uh, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Because the, the, they always, uh, you know, some people will always talk about you have to have this crystal clear vision that you know that you're heading towards and all the rest of it. But sometimes in you know, your journey echoes it. It's it's just an inkling that we just need to just, just sit there in the back of our mind and we carry on doing. But as long as we're open to it, then the stuff starts attracting to that thing that we're, 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 we're open to. And it's allowing right. the stuff in rather than rather than putting pressure on what it has to be, um, allow it to form naturally. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. So I think that's uh, that's beautiful. Um, so yeah, so thank you for thank you for sharing for that, and it will be interesting to see what uh, see what comes out of that in a couple of years' time, whatever shape or format it fits, or it might go somewhere completely different. But that's the that's the beauty of it, uh, being open to it. Um, so um, that's where the future takes us. So in the, in the meantime, the uh, I have a, a question for you, Christopher. That I ask uh, obviously everybody that comes on the podcast, um, Christopher. What is it that uh, makes your bits tingle? I guess for that, I would have to say what I get the most engaged in is the nearly unsolvable problems, the, the, the type of complexity that, that like, no one else can figure it out. And 
I, I don't know. I, I love being the, the, that person who can, after so many other people have tried or people looked at it and said, no way, or no, we don't want to touch this. I love, I love to be that one to be like, sure, no problem. And, and make it happen. That, that to me is the, is the, is the tingle moment to in your words. And it's, it's something that's, you know, people, people within my network know me for that. That's actually why a lot of people come to me. It's like, well, we don't, we have no idea what to do with this. Let's call Chris Fox. And so it's, you know, it's a, it, but it's, it's a, it's a degree of personal delight as well. I, I love it. It's the same way that I like, I, I like reading often, you know, very, very difficult texts for no good reason other than I want to figure this thing out. Um, I, I really like that in a, in a business problem sense too, of no one else seems to know what to do with this. Let me figure it out. Excellent. I think they're still working on the grand unified theorem of, uh, of, of physics. If you want to try and uh, crack your head to that one. Yeah. <laughs> Einstein never solved it. See if you can uh, turn your head to that one. <laughs> That's brilliant. Solving the unsolvable problem. I think we've, uh, Probably got even got a title for the show there as well. So, <laughs> man, but, um, uh, that's brilliant. Thank you, Chris. And and if um, if somebody has an unsolvable problem, and if they're a a, 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 a thought leader in the financial in innovation world, what uh, what should they be doing? Where how do they track you down? Yeah, so there are really a couple of ways to do it. One uh, is to come to my company website and find me that way. So it's Syncresis S Y N C R E S I S dot com and um, you can contact me that way. I'm also very findable on LinkedIn as uh, Christopher G Fox, and you'll find me as a uh, managing partner and CEO of Syncresis there. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for that. It's really uh, really interesting and. Uh, and again, that sort of, you know, we, we, we're talking of a specific sector there, but a lot of what we talked about is relevant to, you know, a lot of areas and, um, and that communication message and the truth and, um, and allowing things to form. So, um, you know, thank you very much for um, those thoughts and ideas and um, I very much appreciate uh, having you on and I wish you all the best for the, the future, whatever it may be. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is a great conversation. I really, really loved a lot of your questions. I, I like being asked a tough question and uh, you did a great job of doing that. It was, it was a good conversation. So thanks for having me. Brilliant. Thank you very much. These podcasts are not necessarily here to give you all the answers. I want you to think about what's been said, what's come up and how you might apply that to your own situation. And if you've enjoyed it, then please subscribe to the podcast and of course share it on the social media platforms. And so more people get a chance to hear what's going on. Thanks very much for listening. My name's Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment, and I want you to enjoy your business so much it makes your bits tingle. <laughs>